Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 183. The Hawaiian leg of the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season is wrapped, with Molly Picklam and Jack Robinson claiming victories at the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. Congratulations to both of them. Stop number three, the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal, is now on the horizon, with a competition window of March 6th through the 16th, and the event will stream live on WorldSurfLeague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right. Episode 183, we're back with my part-time co-host for this season where we run through the winners and losers from the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. We dive deep into the update on the Visla CT Shaper rankings following the completion of CT2. We answer listener questions and much more. Always have a lot of fun talking to Mitch. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitchell Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And now I just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's <laughs> like you're boxing. All right, we are back with the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with my part-time co-host for this season, Mitchell Salazar. And, oh boy, we have wrapped the Hawaiian leg of this year's CT season with the finish of the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, won by Jack Robinson and Molly Picklam in exciting fashion. The waves were cooking, and those two, well, they were just on another level on finals day. We saw a huge shakeup in the Visla CT Shaper rankings between events one and two with local Hawaii-based shapers collecting major results after Pipeline and Sunset Beach. The world's best surfers are off to Portugal for the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal. There is a ton happening right now. Mitch, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great, Dave, but it was definitely one of those events where a lot of things happened. Um, I think most importantly, shake up in the Visla CT Shaper rankings, as you were mentioning. Channel Islands, they were in first after the the premier event at the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti. And guess what? They make a major drop with only one person making the quarterfinals on their team, which was Lakey Peterson. Um, I thought John John Florence looked amazing. He ended up losing the quarters to Jordy Smith, who has just been on a tear in the first two events in his 15th year, by the way, or 16th now on the championship tour for the South African surfer. I thought that Molly Picklem looked great. Um, to me, she just seems like the best surfer in the world right now, Dave. Despite her being number one in the rankings, I think it just goes way beyond that. I thought Brisa Hennessy looked amazing again. Sunset Beach and her, she has such a great connection there. And I really want to give a shout out to Betty Lusakura Johnson too, making her first final in the CT. She was really close to beating Molly in the final, just needing a made a four to overtake the lead. But in the end, I mean, you can't really complain about making your first final on championship tour right there at home in Hawaii. So for her to get that result, especially kind of secure her spot on the championship tour before the mid-year cut too, I think was huge going into three events that can be really tricky for people 
that have only had a couple of years of experience on the CT, Dave. Great notes and a perfect teaser to our opening segment, uh, winners and losers from the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach. So, Mitch, why don't you kick us off first? Who was your first loser from Sunset Beach? Yeah, I have the American rookies. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we had a a discussion panel last year at the U.S. Open that actually you hosted with us, Dave. And we talked about how good Cole Hausman looked at that point in time. He had already qualified for the championship tour. I mentioned that he was going to be my pick for Rookie of the Year. And so far, he's surfed great. Um, Not to say that he hasn't surfed good in both appearances. He just had really bad luck at Pipe, ends up losing to Jackson Bunch in the opening round and has a wave start feed in the elimination round. And here, I, I didn't necessarily feel that there was a lot of loss for him in the round of 32. Ends up losing to eventual champion Jack Robinson with a good heat total, 12-6-6 in comparison to 13-7-7 to Jack Robbo. But overall, Cade Matson, big priority mistake at the end of the heat. He lets, he lets Griffin have a wave and get to nine, was way down in second place. And Cade, who was in control the entire heat, ends up bowing out. I thought Crosby Colopinto, this should have been a good opportunity for him. Sorry, Limblad. I mean, she had a priority interference that, or a non-priority interference, excuse me. It was a paddling interference, which we right. normally don't see against Gabby Bryan. And the ER ends up bowing out the next heat against Caitlin Simmers in a low-scoring affair, too, where she had a chance to take the lead at the end. I thought Alyssa Spencer, same thing. Her backhand should have been a bit better here. But I think that's just a testament to how difficult Sunset Beach is as a stop, especially when you have a format that is allocated to really benefit the people that have experience at a location like this. So competing there with the new format, you have overlapping heats, there's a lot of pressure on you, and there's a lot of variables to experience at Sunset Beach besides just the positioning and the waves. You also have the environmental noise that is a big thing. You have the ski assistance, and I think most importantly, you don't have a ton of markers to really base yourself on when it comes to changing swell direction. So I think the American rookies struggled, and it was noticeable that a lot of them couldn't make it out of the round of 32 for the men and out of the round of 16 for the women, Dave. It's a really good note. I'm glad you brought up the particular challenge of Sunset Beach for rookies, right? Because everyone that you name, like, flashes a brilliance. I mean, Cole Hauschman, like, some of those turns on his backhand looked outstanding, yeah. both in the free surf and the competition. But as you pointed out, it's a difficult wave to compete at. It really challenges the surfers. There's a huge playing field. You get overlapping heat formats. You've got ski assists. You've got all these things that if you are new to this level, it's just added pressure, added complication to something that's already very difficult, which is competing against the world's best. So it's a great yeah. call out. Um, my first loser from Sunset Beach doesn't really have the, the, the rookie excuse, but it's the Brazilian storm. Um, don't at me on social media, but my goodness for a group of individuals who have been so dominant over the past 10 years, here's where we stand after two events. And to be clear, it's early days, but these are the days we're at nonetheless, but two events on the 2024 championship tour, you get one quarterfinal finish from Italo Ferreira at Sunset Beach, two quarterfinal finishes from Tatiana Weston Webb and Luana Silva at Pipeline. Brazil started the season with two women and seven men, not counting the injured Jaushianka. You've got no Brazilian in the current men's top 10. The highest ranked is 2019 world champion Italo Ferreira at 13th. You've got no Brazilian in the current women's top five. The highest ranked is Tatiana Westenweb at seventh. Three-time world champion Gabriel Medina is currently below the cut line at 26th. Reigning two-time world champion Felipe Toledo has withdrawn 
from the 2024 season after his opening round heat at Pipeline. Again, it is, of course, very early days. We're only two events in, but I don't think I've ever seen such a dramatic drop-off for this particular group ever. And it'll be really interesting to see if and when they rebound this year. So it's an area that I'm going to be personally watching really closely over the coming events in Portugal and Australia. Yeah, I, I actually think that's a good point. We call them out of pipe. And obviously, I think the main thing to learn here is that every generation should surpass the next. And not to necessarily say that it was a generation that just qualified for the tour that knocked them out. That wasn't really the case. There was a lot of veterans that actually stepped up to the plate on an occasion that was super difficult to compete at. I mean, the first two men's days was very rough out there. You had a ton of wind blowing. The swell direction wasn't really appropriate. Finals day and the first day we ran the women's was, was epic. I mean, super clean conditions, but the first two days were gnarly. And if you've ever surfed, whether free surfing or competed at Sunset, you already know that it's super difficult. Um, Yagodora, he has two pretty bad results, too, to start the year. That was mm -hmm. a guy that was just outside of the top five. Caillou Belly, who's a standout there, had a poor performance, too. Miggy and Sam, they both got knocked out pretty early. And I think Gabe was the one guy that I was kind of looking to, especially given that he had an incredible barrel there last year where I've seen very few goofy footers been able to get barrel the way he did at the West Bowl. He was not only out of sync with the ocean, but he was one of the few that actually got relegated to the elimination round too. When we're talking about a three-time world champion, one of the greatest surfers of all time, and he has struggled so far in the first two events, given that these are also waves that should benefit his kind of style. And getting to that point, I feel like the board selection, the board choice for a lot of surfers in this event was also very difficult. That's why we had a shakeup in the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings. And that's my second loser. It's shorter boards at Sunset Beach. Both champions, Dave, both champions, Molly and Jack, were on larger boards every single day they surfed. Jack actually said that that Eric Arakawa that he had was just a little bit, a little bit longer, was able to draw out his turns a little bit better. And I don't think he gets that near 10 in the final if he's not riding a bigger board. If you look at the first carve that he does, he's perfectly positioned just behind the bowl to come around it, get barreled on the first one, come out, and then reposition himself for the second barrel. That's not happening on a shorter board. I think the only person that can really ride a shorter board, and he's one of the greatest to ever do it, is John John Florence out there. I mean, that guy dropped a low eight with just a single turn, a high seven in the same heat against Miguel Pupo in one of the earlier rounds. But everybody else that really had success was on a larger board, including Ryan Callanan, too, one of the lone goofy putters on finals day. So I think we're really se uh, seeing progress come back into using longer boards over at the Hawaiian Islands when it comes to competing. And I think that's going to be a trend that's going to continue to follow in years to come, too, Dave. It's a great note. And, and while John does ride, like, you know, as far as board height goes, shorter boards, there's all sort of dark sorcery going on with like wide points moving forward and rail lines. So there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of magic happening in the Paisel space anyway. But I love that mm -hmm. point about, you know, the world's best surfers having to, move up in size, right? I think for the last 20 years, we've seen, you know, Kelly really push the envelope on like, no, you can ride really short boards and like really critical big surf. Um, and I think we've seen amazing uh, updates to wave riding approach in those kind of conditions because of that. But, you know, mm -hmm. progress isn't a straight line. Sometimes you end up in a cul-de-sac and you go, okay, cool, let's back exactly. out of that and take the approach uh, technique uh, learnings from that and then apply it to maybe something that functionally works better, right? With longer boards. And um, yeah, it's a good segue into to my next loser, which 
isn't really a loser, but it's a good conversation point. So we'll say, quote unquote, loser, but maybe with like a huge asterisk. Um, it is <laughs> Sharp Eye Surfboards. And we're going to dig into this in the next segment on the Vistla CT Shaper rankings. But they had two of their major team riders in the men's final in Jack Robinson and Kanoa Igarashi. However, neither of them were riding sharp eyes on the final day of competition, like many, many CT surfers this year in Hawaii, both Jack and Kanoa riding Hawaii-based shapers. You mentioned it already. Jack was on Eric Arakawa. Kanoa was on a Glenn Pang from TNC Surf. So that's 17,800 points that could have gone to Sharpie just in the men's final alone, but instead those points went to Arakawa and the TNC surf groups. That said, despite missing out on that specifically potential bounty at Sunset Beach, Sharpie are still sitting third on the current Vistla CT Shaper rankings, just about 3,500 points behind the current front runner of DHD. So while they may have lost out at Sunset Beach, I think they're still sitting in really decent shape heading into Europe. For sure. and. The biggest point of difference this year in comparison to last year, first of all, Joanna Fay is healthy. She was one of the few people riding sharp eyes on finals day. She looked great. Tati obviously has a lot to do with them on the women's side too. But I also think that you have to consider that when it comes to manufacturing, they're probably still one of the most successful ones, whether they're making it into the top 10 or top five at the end of the event too. So for somebody like Marcio Zuvi, it comes down to having those people really winning events and you even had a social media post by Matt Biolos from Mayhem, too. He was like, hey, it wasn't a great start to the, near, uh, to the year for me over at the Hawaiian leg. And guess what? I need to be improving things in the shaping bank, too, to get some new boards out for a lot of my great customers, which tend to be a lot of his CT surfers, too, including Caroline Marks, who still hasn't been able to make it to a final in the first two events. I know it's early, but I think we need to be critical, given that a lot of these surfers had incredible performances last year and were able to do it in the first few events of the year, too. And... I think that's something that I'm looking at my third loser, and that's Baron Mamiya. Mm -hmm. You know, he contributed majorly to Channel Island's success over at Pipe. And given that he's a former champion here, he won in 2022 as a wild card, by the way, yeah. was able to make it through the hardest heats you could possibly imagine as a wild card because you're going from the lowest seed to having to fight against the higher seeds in the rankings. Here he loses to Fred Morais after being relegated to the elimination round. And he just never really looked comfortable in any heat that he surfed, Dave. I felt that there were a couple moments of brilliance, but just overall was never able to find his feet. Might be the pressure of the yellow jersey, because remember, in 2022, he was leading the rankings heading into Portugal right. after event number two. Here, there's a difference. You were leading after the first event of the year, and you beat John John Florence in the final in spectacular fashion with the 10-point ride in the final. Nobody's really been able to do that before. So you're riding such a high, and to be able to replicate that sense of euphoria is almost impossible. Now, we're talking about a kid that's still in his early 20s. I'm not saying that he's not a top five contender at the end of the year. I think he still is. But you need to be able to maintain a presence of at least making it into the round of 16, if not even into the quarters, if you want to stay relevant in the back end of the year, Dave. It's a great point. And I mean, even after that win at Pipeline, he, he was beating his chest and rightfully so saying, I think, you know, this is the imposter syndrome's gone. And I think he absolutely is like a world title contender. He's so talented, but sure. I think you're right. Like he had an opportunity to consolidate that lead, 
at Sunset Beach where he's won before. We'll see how he travels this year, right? I think last time he went through this when he was in the yellow jersey after those first two events in Hawaii, after his Sunset Beach win, he talked about you know getting to Europe and then slowing down, getting to Australia and then slowing down and, and really feeling the pressure of being amongst the world's best. It's a few years since then. I think he's in a different headspace. I'm excited to see what he does in Portugal. Um, my final loser from Sunset Beach, you kind of touched on this already, but I'll, I'll put a slightly different spin on it. But the San Clemente 2% crew, you know, and uh, look, I've been honest. Uh, last year, I, I didn't give them a, a ton of credit at the start of the season, but was really surprised and impressed at the end of 2023. They had amazing success on the Challenger Series. And I still think they have the beginnings of like a real movement happening out of that town. That said, not the best CT showings from this group collectively uh, in Hawaii and specifically at Sunset Beach. You know, the highest ranked men's surfer from San Clemente at the moment, Griffin Colapento at 11th on the rankings right now. Got back-to-back ninths in Hawaii. Next up is his brother Crosby at 17th. And then you've got Cade Matson, Cole Hausman, and adopted San Clemente 2% member Eli Hanneman. All of them are currently below the relegation line right now. And then on the women's side, we got rookie Sawyer Lindblad, who really showed some impressive flashes across the first two events of the year, but currently sitting below the relegation line herself. Um, and we should call out, you know, again, adopted San Clemente community member is reigning world champion Caroline Marks. She put up a quarterfinals and a semifinal finish at Pipeline and Sunset Beach, respectively, and is currently the bright spot for that group now. But a lot of opportunity for that group to improve, not a lot of runway before midseason relegation. Um, switching tacks a little bit, Mitch, who do you have for your winners coming out of Sunset Beach? Yeah, well... It's obviously a huge difference when you get to the people that haven't really had major success at the first two events. But guess who have? The Australians. I mean, they dominated this event. They got both champions, Molly and Jack Robinson, two of the best surfers, no doubt, in the first two events. Molly, as I said before, I think she is hands down the best surfer in the world right now on the women's side. She had the 9.67 for a single turn. I'd have to say, just based off of experience, having competed there, having been somebody that did the qualifying series for multiple years and being a member of both um, the English language broadcast and the Spanish language broadcast team, I had the chance to cover this live and it's easily one of the most committed turns I've ever seen at Sunset Beach done by both a male and a female surfer. It's a huge wave, first of all, and then she truly is able to engage with the lip and got a near perfect score for just one maneuver. I think if you put 90% of the population in a situation like that, they're kicking out or they're straightening out. Molly truly went for it, and she defeated Brisa Hennessy in that semifinal, too. If you saw the way Brisa surfed throughout the entirety of the event, she was winning heats by a major margin. Then you go to the other side of the spectrum. Jack Robinson had three excellent heats in a row from the quarters into the final on finals day. He had to do it three times. Kanoi Garashi posted a 15.16 heat total in the final, and he was comboed. This guy was unstoppable. I thought he was... By far the best surfer of the event, and he's a two-time champion here now at an, at an elite level, both on the Challenger Series and the CT. And then you have Ryan Callanan, who got his best result here ever, third place, and Liam O'Brien and Isabella Nichols, who got an equal fifth. It was a good event for the Australians, and I feel that they have a lot of momentum heading into stop number three in Portugal, Dave. Great one. And and pretty similar here for, for my first winner. My first winner from the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach are... 
the next generation of women superstars like Molly Picklam, who you mentioned, but also Betty Lucicura Johnson. Of, of course, Caitlin Simmers is in the mix too, although she had a relatively early exit from Sunset Beach with her quarterfinals loss. But Molly and Betty Lou, who were two of the standouts from the opening event at Pipeline, backed it up with a finals finish between them at Sunset Beach. You mentioned already, Molly, with arguably the turn of the entire event, after getting the backhand barrel of the event at Pipeline, like she is ascendant right now. It, it just performance-wise, it's unbelievable. And Betty Lou continues to look stronger and stronger. And that kind of consistency at this level, with these specific levels of performance, that should send shivers down the spines of their competitors on the women's CT. You know, they've almost in, in, in immediate fashion have established themselves as the new standard in 2024. And this kind of momentum is really scary if you're one of their competitors. Um, hey, life comes at you fast and the standard of elite level surfing on the CT is being pushed seemingly with every heat. And, and, and these two are, are at the tip of the spear right now. Yeah, and given that Molly won uh, the event back-to-back -to -back too, I think that says a lot about how good she is over there, which is one of the most complicated waves on the entire two. And mm -hmm. I think the development that Picklem has had in, what, a year and a half, Dave, you would say, after falling off of the tour right. in 2022, requalifying, she finishes number five in the world last year, and right now she's number one after two events. And, I mean, both her and Sakura, they both made finals day. Sakura ended up losing to Molly in the semis over there at Pipe. Loses to Molly here in the final, but she's been super consistent too. And Molly's made both finals. And I mean, she only lost a final against Katie at Pipe because she wasn't able to back up that night that she had in her scoreline. Right. So overall, I just truly feel that she's on a different level right now. Interesting to see the way she's going to compete at Super Duos because that's kind of a difficult wave, especially with the different shades that we see as a beach break. But I feel like it should be a good event for her. Speaking of good events, my second winner is our Japanese surfer, Kanoe Garashi. Makes a second final in three years here. Looked incredible. And finally returning to his form after a poor performance at Pipe where he kind of waited a little long in that sim um, overlapping heat format. I felt like here he was just pedal to the metal. Every single time was competing well, was making the right decisions, and even said in his interview, this is just one of those ways where you have to keep your expectations super low and kind of wait for the ocean to dictate the pace that you're going to have in it. He got to work super busy. As, as soon as there was an opportunity out there to take, he was taking advantage of it. I felt like he not only competed well, but is returning to his form that we saw in the back end of last year, getting a third place finish over there in Jeffrey's Bay. I feel like this is going to be another top 10 finish at the end of the year for Kanoa. It's a great one. And I think that you pointed out the right thing. Like he had a tough 2023, right? In 2022, he, he sneaks into the the Rip Curl WSL finals um, with a performance in Tahiti. We had that tension between you know him and Griffin Colapinto, who were both uh, being coached by Tommy Whitaker in 2023. Um, Tom ends up with Griffin. Griffin ends up signing with Quicksilver, who's also Kanoa's sponsor. Kanoa is no longer working with Tom. Griffin has a great 2023 Kanoa uh, substandard for him and it's awesome to see him come yeah. back even at pipeline i felt like he was on one you know like it didn't have the best result but free surfs seeing him around the event he seemed like really centered really calm and, and another one of those surfers who seems like they are on a mission in 2024 um, notably we mentioned it already he was riding 
uh, Glenn Pang shapes, TNC surf shapes, in addition to his sharp eyes. And that's my second winner. And, and we touched on it a little bit already, but the Hawaii Bay shapers, particularly particularly the Glenn Pangs at TNC Surf and Eric Arakawa. And I know we're going to dive into this more in the next segment, the Visla CT Shaper Rankings, but this is a huge win for Hawaii Bay shapers. I think more surfers than ever seem like they were rounding out their quivers for Pipeline and Sunset Beach this season with these Hawaii Bay shapers, your Paisels, your Arakawas, your Takoros, your Pangs, and TNC Surfboards. And these Hawaii based shapers picked up some major results at Sunset Beach. Arakawa with a win via Jack Robinson. TNC Surf with a runner up via uh, Kanoa Igarashi. Paisel with his own runner up via Betty Lucifer Johnson. And then if you just look at the quarterfinalists on both sides from Sunset Beach, you've got Isabella Nichols. She's switching between Pangs and DHDs. Caitlin Simmers is running Arakawa's at Sunset Beach. Brisa Hennessy, longtime TNC surf rider, uh, team rider. Molly Picklum, ultimately winning the event on a Darren Hanley, but she had a few pangs in her quiver as well. And then on the men's side, Liam O'Brien, alternating between DHDs and pangs. John John Florence, longtime Pizel team rider. Jordy Smith, alternating between Tecoros and Smith shapes. And we've already touched on Jack and Kanoa. But that's 10 out of the 16 quarterfinalists at Sunset Beach. They were utilizing the local lumber. Um, so I just think that's a massive endorsement for the Hawaii-based shapers. Well, I also think it shows a lot of respect that they have. You know, you're talking about the very best surfers in the world who had to go through different qualifying programs to be able to get here. They understand uh, the differences that they see in different parts of the world in terms of wave selection, uh, wave directions, understanding different kinds of swell. And Hawaii, it's just a different animal, Dave. You get to Haleiwa, completely different wave. Pipeline, obviously, more of a barrel-centered wave. And then Sunset Beach can have a bit of both. I mean, you see different shades of what it can be on any given swell direction, especially the first two days of the men. And I think it just comes down to something that you're going to feel confident on underneath your feet, too. Especially for Jordy Smith. I mean, the guy's been a finalist multiple times there. And I feel 2006, when he ends up runner-up to Joel Parkinson, he's just 18 years of age. That goes to show you the guy's been around for almost 20 years at this level. And he's been able to realize that certain boards are going to work at specific locations. And for him to alternate between his dad's boards, who he's ridden for his entire life, and then somebody like Wade Takoro, that means a huge, huge amount of respect is going to the shapers that are from both born and bred in that area, but most importantly, they consistently surf those waves on a regular basis too. And that actually leads to my third winner in this one, the Dark Horses. I have both Jordy Smith and Brisa Hennessy tied right here because I feel like it's been an excellent start to the year for them. Quarterfinals at Pipe for Jordy, semifinal finish here when he beats one of the standouts of the event, John John Florence, in the quarters where it was pretty close. John was just needing a score at the end and kind of got skunk with some good waves towards the end of the heat, but Jordy has competed great. And he also had an injured foot over at Pipeline too. He had stitches in the bottom of the foot. They were removed at the end of this event here, but he's looked incredible, both his wave selection and the way he's competed so far and still performing at age 36, 16 years on the championship tour now, Dave, and he's looking better than ever. Moves up to number four in the rankings. Same thing for Brisa Hennessy. She's had two semifinal performances I thought she was on her way to make the final again here. She just faced a red-hot Molly Picklum in the semis who had the best turn we've seen all event long. But most importantly, she's in the running 
to make the top five at the end of the year too. On the women's side, there's no doubt that you need to be making the quarters or better for you to make the finals. So for her to be able to start the year off the right way like this, it's going to be a lot, a lot of confidence going into Portugal for her. I love it. And that sound we can hear in the background is everyone's heads exploding from the 2008 Kai Neville Modern Collective fan club card carrying members as you're calling Jordy Smith a dark horse, but it's right. Like, I mean, he's had a few soft years, but like, you know, as you said, like, you know, 15 years ago, no one ever was like, he's going to win a billion world titles, but that is how hard the CT is. And that, and like things happen. Right. Um, but I'm with you. Like, I think both of them looked fantastic. I'd I'd even throw in, uh, Liam O'Brien in there as well. I'll probably save him for another podcast because I've got a lot of thoughts on him, but he looked fantastic taking down Ethan Ewing, who's probably one of the most dangerous people out at Sunset Beach. But yeah. great pick. Um, I'm not going to go with the dark horses for my final winner. I'm going to go with someone who you've referenced already. But Jack Robinson, my, my God. Um, what what do our friends, the Swellians, call him? It's, it's like the Vortex Shaman or the Vortex <laughs> Tube Shaman or something wonderful like that. But... His powers at Sunset Beach were on full display. You know, his connection with the ocean, his athleticism, his talent, his equipment, his competitive savvy, he just completely elevated. And it was really, really impressive. And, you know, thinking back to that first CT of the year at Pipeline, he looked awesome there too, both in the free surfs and in the event. He, He went down earlier than I think we all anticipated at Pipe to uh, lethal goofy footer, Ramsey Bukayam. Um, and there's no shame in that. But I do think that early exit from Pipe kind of buried the fact that he seems even more locked in than ever before, right? He's a new father, you know, dad's strength is fully activated. And I think he feels like he has a lot to prove to himself in 2024. Um, huge winner of, of not only the event at Sunset Beach, but he rockets 15 spots up the CT rankings to current number two behind John John Florence. And yeah, I'm excited to see what happens between those two in Europe. Yeah, one thing I will add, um, not necessarily uh, to kind of cave in on Jack, but Ramsey beat him at pipe with just two waves ridden. I mean, he competed extremely well. But given that Jack Robinson was the defending champion of that event, I felt like that was a major upset, especially Mm. considering that Jack had won in Tahiti the last event of the year in a comeback against Gabe, who's been the best surfer there historically when you look at statistics. And then he makes such a bounce back at sunset. I just think that's an attribute of him having to switch gears and his mentality just going from like, hey, that's a major wake-up call. That was an event that I should have won. Mm-hmm. Given how the waves were on finals day two, I, I should have been in the conversation. And I was like, hell no. I'm leaving my best for the very last. He had three excellent heats in a row at the end, dropping the highest heat total of the event, 18.04 in the final two. So I think that goes to show a lot about his progress and his development. And he's still super young. The kid's only 26. I think he's going to be another major contender this year for the world championship. I completely agree. So a lot of fun from the Hurley Pro uh, Sunset Beach, as well as the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti. Thank you to the Hawaiian community for for opening up your beaches to us once again this year. Um, really appreciate that. And, and, and it's a special community. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. 
WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. All right, we are back from break. This is the Lineup Podcast. I am Dave Prodan here with my co-host, Mitchell Salazar. It is now time for the quote-unquote contest within the contest, the shaping world title, the Visla CT Shaper Rankings. Shaper Rankings! We're going to give you guys an update after the Hawaiian leg. Just a little background. The Visla CT Shaper Rankings measures the performance of the world's best board builders who build equipment for the world's best surfers on the CT. Shapers are given points based off the performance of surfers on their boards that finish in the quarterfinals or better. It's a combined rankings, men's and women's. The higher the surfer places, the more points the shaper receives. Similar to last year, we're going to be tracking the Visla CT Shaper rankings from Event 1 through Event 9, and we will crown a winner before the WSL Finals in September. So, when the dust had settled on the Visla CT Shaper rankings following the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach, we talked about this a little bit before the break, but it was Darren Handley and DHD Surfboards that took the front runner spot, jumping up from third after the Pipe event to number one after the Sunset Beach event. 
I think, and we talked about this a little bit already, I want to get your take on this, Mitch, but it does feel like this Hawaiian season, more so than any in recent memory, it seems like more CT surfers were electing to use local shapers, local Hawaii-based shapers, Arakawa, Paisel, Takoro, Glenn Pang at TNC Surf. And they put up some really impressive performances, collected some huge results. And looking at the current top five, TNC Surf is in second, Paisel is in fourth, and then outside the top five, you've also got Arakawa and Takoro that round out the top 10. That definitely didn't happen last year, but I think the solid surf we had both at Pipeline and certainly Sunset Beach, as you pointed out, it required bigger boards for all the surfers, and it was so fun to see them draw different kinds of lines. Mitch, what were your keen eyes seeing in terms of the board building community and the ramifications of CT surfer selection at Sunset Beach? Well, I think major props to all of them, but specifically to to Glen Pang. Um, I'd say in my history of working both for the company and being involved in professional surfing, this is probably the CT event that I've seen where most people are riding TNC surfboards shaped by Glen Pang. So. Props to him. I think it is a major contribution to both his success on the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings, but just overall, too. Um, a lot of respect, first of all, but I think most importantly, knowing that these boards work, too. So getting Brisa Hennessy full-time on the championship tour, now adding Sally Fitzgibbons last year full-time to your elite CT team, too, I think is huge. They're going to do well on the women's side. My real question, and we've talked about it through text, is how much are these boards going to travel during this year outside of Hawaii because I think it was Callum Robson who was still riding some of his Hawaii boards over there in Portugal on the huge day. He got the perfect 10 over there, but Arakawa, he used to have Jack Robinson full-time. We all know that Jack rides for Sharp by now outside of Hawaii. I don't know if we're going to see many Arakawas over there for him in Portugal or in the first two events in Australia either. I will say one thing though, Darren Hanley has been kind of, the one guy that's always been under the radar. He was leading at a certain point last year, mm. but he's got too many riders for him to not do well. I mean, Jacob Wilcox, that addition, Liam O'Brien, major result here for him, beating Ethan Ewing, who's by far one of the greatest surfers on the championship tour right now. And I, I want to say one thing about Ethan Ewing, too. There was one roundhouse cutback in the event that he did that might be the single best roundhouse cutback I have ever seen at Sunset Beach. For people... To be able to do that there on a huge wave, by the way, was absurd. And the way he was able to do it as smoothly was just ridiculous, too. Now you have Isabella Nichols on the women's side who gets a good result here at Sunset Beach. I thought not only her requalifying was huge for him, but now you could potentially have Bronte McCauley competing in the final two events before the mid-year cut, both at Bells and at Margaret River. That could be huge for him, too. She makes it in the quarters or better. I see DHD competing for the title at the end of the year. And, of course, big shout-out to Pizel. He doesn't have many riders on the CT. Interesting to see what Betty Lou's going to do after this event because she was riding Channel Islands for a good amount over at Pipe. Ended up surfing with the Slater Designs on finals day, but then riding Pizel's ultimately the entire event here at Sunset. So mm. John Pizel doing good. He's number four. But I think Channel Islands took a big hit after this one, Dave. Uh, I know Britt is a good friend of ours. Brent Power, the team manager, too. They only had one person on finals day, and that was Lakey Peterson. I think they need to bump it back up if they want to stay relevant in the making of the top three. Absolutely. I, I'm, I, I'm going to pull on that comment you brought up about it's probably the single CT in which the bulk of the field was riding 
well, well, in which more surfers were riding TNC surfboards from Glen Pang than at any other event. I think you're probably right. Like even surfers who didn't make the quarterfinals or better, or maybe they ended up collecting a result. The last heat they won from quarterfinals on was not a, a Glen Pang, but there were so many TNC surfboards like in the field. And you know, it was interesting, uh, Ryan Sugihara, who's the president at TNC Surf, called me yesterday and said, oh, hey, look, you know, the local news found out that we're, we're number two on the Vistla CT Shaper rankings. I got a couple questions before I go on television. So um, I like it. I like that the Shaping World title is now like legitimate organic news in Hawaii. That's fantastic. But he and I had talked for a bit and, I, and I was, we were talking about this exact fact. I said, can you share with me, uh, Ryan, like, it, it certainly does seem like this is the most surfers that have ridden your boards in a CT event in maybe ever, um, but certainly in a long time. Is that a function of them coming direct to you or you guys going out and trying to, you know, encourage them or persuade them to order the boards? He goes, it's definitely the former. He goes, of course, like we have a list of surfers who have ordered boards for us in the past. And he goes, just in terms of production lines, you know, in August, we reach out to them to say, hey, look, like if you want these boards for when you come to Hawaii, we have to start building them now. So like get your orders in. He said, but he goes more so than at any other point in their company's history, they were just inundated with requests from CT surfers that have seen the shapes work, have maybe used the shapes in the past and just went, I, I want these to round out my quiver in Hawaii. And I thought that was really cool to uh, hear, uh, certainly from them, because they've been such an iconic brand for so long and they've had so much success. It is cool to see it coming back around for them. And then the second question I had for you too, you brought it up already. How, how, how many of these Hawaii based boards do you think are gonna travel through these next few events, right? Because Super Tubos in Portugal can be a wave with Hawaii-type power when it's on, right? And, you know, Bell's Beach is sort of a wave that you can use a longer surfboard and have success there. Um, you know, Margaret River is another kind of outer reef wave that, that, that draws off of um, deep swells in, in a way that you could be using bigger boards. Do you anticipate like even more surfers than in the past, maybe bringing some of those Hawaii boards through the next few events and potentially some of these Hawaii Bay shapers could be sitting in the top five, even after uh, Margaret river. I'd say less than half, mm. but given that in 2017, when Jordy won at bells, it was huge. Like I could see those boards working very well there. 2019 when John, John won, same thing, dude. And Courtney, I think, it was either that year or the year before. Like, she had a 10 in the final against Malia. It was massive, and those are actually waves that truly resemble both Haleiwa and Sunset. I think that Darren Hanley is going to have a lock-in in the Australia leg just because Jacob Wilcox should be super successful in both the last two events over there. I think Bells is a good event for him. He competed there a good amount of occasions as a wild card. And at Margaret River, too. I think that Isabella Nichols being a former champion of Margaret River on DHD, should be riding his shapes. I think the one variable here is potentially somebody that's in the top two or three in the rankings. And I would have to say that Jack Robinson could potentially be using Garakawa's on some bigger days over there. Not to say that sharp eyes don't work when it's huge. He probably has some bigger step-ups from him. But I think Marcio's boards are more adequate for a lot of high-performance surfing that we're seeing below six feet. Um, he might be able to shut me up with the fact that Felipe won at Sunset last year, but it wasn't even close to the size that we saw on finals day here. So 
I'd say left the, less than half personally, um, but I think Callum Robson might have a couple in, in his quiver, just as we saw last year. Obviously, we're going to see Barisa and Sally Fitzgibbons compete on TNC just because they ride for them full time. But I wouldn't necessarily say that the majority of the surfers will be using the boards that they used over here in the Hawaii Lake, which, I mean, could be kind of a bummer because they're in a position right now where they're super relevant, obviously, with the Visa CT Shaper rankings. But more importantly, you want to be able to follow up this momentum with big events afterwards and the amount of exposure that you're getting on the broadcast, too. So unfortunately, I don't see it happening too much. But I actually I, I do think that it would be something beneficial to both board builders worldwide because dude, look at the way it's pushing Matt Biolos. When have you seen him post something like that on social media where he's like, not two great events for me. I need to go back to the drawing board and work with my team to be able to get back to number one in the world. This is having a huge impact on our industry. And for surfers that aren't necessarily competitive surfers, even put yourself in a jersey if you want to, too. You're going to be even you're going to be getting better boards within the next six to 12 months because of what we're seeing from the championship tour surfers alone. So I, I just think that it's something great. I think the addition of this last year is elevating not only board building, but also the surfing that we're seeing from the athletes, uh, the athletes on the CT too, Dave. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I mean, even if you're just looking at the amount of, um, Know, boots on the ground messages I was getting from Sunset of like so and so is writing this board, such and such is writing that board. I think the the you're right. I mean, and um, the Vistla CT Shaper rankings is kind of living rent free in everyone's head right now, which is great. And I do think you're right. I think it is pushing the shapers. You mentioned Matt; he's the reigning CT Shaper of the year. Like he wants to defend that title. And yes, it's pushing them to design better equipment for the world's best surfers. But all those discoveries that happen at the very, very highest level of surfing. All those discoveries then find their way into equipment for all, anyone that surfs, you know, ourselves included. You know, maybe they're more civilian shapes or whatever, but that's okay, right? We're still benefiting from that bleeding edge of discovery that's happening between the world's best surfers and, and the shaping community. You know, yeah. one of the things I want to ask you about since the, the tour is traveling to Europe. You know, coming to Hawaii is one thing, but there are other pockets. Like, you know, back when we used to travel to the Gold Coast, there's a, a, a very powerful shaping community on the Gold Coast. And a number of CT surfers would tap, you know, Darren Hanley, Murray Burton, Jason Stevenson. Um, I'm, I'm missing tons, but there are, you know, there are so many shapers that are based there and they'd go, I want point break boards. I want to get some high performance boards from you guys. Obviously, we've just talked about it in Hawaii, but the European shaping community is is really powerful as well. When we used to go to Hossiger for the CT, you know, you, you have Christian Bradley and Mark Phipps who are based there. They would build boards for CT surfers coming to town. You've got Pukas, you've got um, Fatem surfboards Cabianca. out in Portugal. Cabianca is a great point. Um, what do you think about that? element of the surfers coming to Portugal. Do you see any of the CT surfers maybe tapping local shapers for that wave in the same way that they tapped Hawaiian shapers for pipe and sunset? Or are we talking about two different kind of animals here? No, I think it's the same thing. I mean, the, the concept is obviously very similar because you want to be able to get boards from somebody that, first of all, knows the area super well, knows the wave that they're going to be competing at, but most importantly, can give you something that you should be able to rely on. We saw it a ton when we used to go to France. I mean, just remember the amount of times that we saw both Leo and Jeremy compete on Bradley's, right. and they were super successful. The last time we had 
the event there, or one of the last years that we had it in 2019, Leo made the semifinals on a Bradley, and Jeremy was riding something very similar too. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, especially with the success that Johnny Cavianca and Pukas have had with uh, Gabe and a lot of the other European surfers on both the Junior and Challenger Series. I think it's it's certainly a possibility. I think a lot of the guys that have contracts with a lot of these shapers probably won't be relying on that. And that just comes from a financial perspective. You don't want to lose out on that relationship that you have with the shaper. And, and you know, we said it on the last podcast, and I think a lot of these surfers still have to at least either trade in boards or have to pay partially for a lot of their boards they're getting. But those people all the way at the top, they're usually getting boards for free because they do a lot of publicity and marketing with these brands. Now, that being said, if I see something that I'm riding that I love, I could sticker it up too and kind of falsify information and be like, hey, this is the board that I'm riding. It's <laughs> right. a sharp eye or something else, a Mayhem, I don't know. And you don't even know that it's something else. Um, mm. There's also a lot of ghost shapers out there too. And I think that's something that um, we've seen happen before. Certain shapers go out and work with these factories with a lot of local shapers, and they end up working under their label. So mm. that's not something that I think is out of the realm either. And given that there should be credit because you're making a design that is usually constructed for a certain brand, but if the other person is shaping it too, you have to at least mention their name. Um, I know Mike from Channel Islands makes a lot of boards too. And I, I mean, he makes boards for a lot of CT surfers and, and Challenger surfers alike. You know who I'm talking about there? Mike Walter or Some, Mike Andrews? Mike Walter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mike Walter. Great shaper. Yeah. So it, it can't all be like, oh, Britt Merrick. No, like, Dude, Mike and all those guys, all the glasses of Sanders, like they're finishing a lot of these yeah. boards too. So they should also get amount of, uh, of that credit too, I feel. That's a little bit of the Santa Claus mentality when you grow it up. You're like, well, yeah, Britt Merrick must shape 20,000 boards a year, of course. Right. Like, you right. Know, or, or Matt Biolis or Darren Hanley or Jason Stevenson or whatever. And, um, I don't know if any. I don't know if anyone, it, regardless of how young they are, I think that's the case anymore. But they are the the figureheads of these brands. They have a design philosophy that's specific to that brand. They've got their models. They've got their templates. They've got you know their machines. They they, they train up. You know, depending on the size of the program, they train up shapers that they trust implicitly you know, with that brand um, and they're putting out the best equipment, but it's a great call out. And I think that's one of the nice things about the Vistla CT Shaper rankings. It's an opportunity for us to talk about everybody, you know, whether it's a Mike Walter um, shaping for Channel Islands, whether it's a Ryan Sugihara in the president position at TNC Surf, like whether it's the Sanders, the Glassers, the delivery folks, whoever, like they're all contributing to this thing we all love. And, and I, I think that's rad. So, um, It'll be exciting to see what happens, right, at the Mayo uh, Rip Curl Pro Portugal as far as the Visla CT Shaper rankings goes. We're going to take one more uh, break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. 
Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lineup Podcast. I'm your part-time co-host, Mitchell Salazar, here with the great chief. It's David Prodan with us today, as usual. I'm bringing out my Aussie accent after the victory of everybody over there at Sunset Beach, Molly and uh, Jack Rubber. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to continue that. Keep going. Like yeah. <laughs> no. um, thanks, everybody, who wrote in today at the lineup pod. Remember, if we don't get to your answer on today's episode, we're going to do our best to respond in the DMs, as we always do. And Dave... Not only are our listeners great surf enthusiasts, but a lot of them asking the right questions given the event that we just had. Our first question for today, at DanJC264. An interesting question. I think we're going to have a couple of different opinions on this one. What makes Sunset a better option for the modern CT than Haleiwa? Ooh. Well, that that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if I... 100% believe it's a better option than Haleiwa. I think Haleiwa is like an incredible high performance wave. And I think if you talk to the CT surfers, I'm sure some of them would be like, yeah, it'd be amazing to compete there. I think if anything, Haleiwa, it's a more organized lineup, right? It's still, for those of us who have been out there at any, you know, level of size, it's, it can be nightmarish. You can get sucked, you know, into the Harbor and all sorts of things can happen, but it, it is a relatively consistent takeoff spot. And, and even when it's huge, um, it's a little more organized than sunset beach. That said, um, Geez, it's it's hard not to want to see Sunset on tour every year, especially after the last few days of this year, right? I think that we've talked about it before on this podcast. I think when you look at the design of a CT schedule, you know, while some people may say, I want 10 events at Chopu because that's my favorite kind of surfing. <laughs> you don't really want that, you know, like you, you, I know that, I know you say you want it, but like, I think what you actually want are like, as diverse of world-class waves as you can find, you know, rights, lefts, point yeah. breaks, slabs, beach breaks to identify who the most comprehensive world-class surfers are. And I think that 
if you look at every venue, you can almost boil it down to like a singular challenge. Of course, they contain multitudes and, and, you know, there's all sorts of things you have to do at every single spot. But if you think of something like Surf Ranch, which has been on tour in the past, it's like the wave is perfect. The challenge is just the pressure, right? Where everyone's watching. There's nowhere to hide. You don't get to blame the ocean. You, you don't get to get more waves than your competitor you have a set opportunity and so the challenge there is the pressure right at somewhere like jeffrey's bay it's probably the pacing you know where it's like that is your challenge can you pace this wave appropriately so that you're not going too fast and not doing maneuvers so you're not not going fast enough and your maneuvers aren't getting any kind of traction and you're 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 falling i think sunset beach presents such a unique uh challenge for the world's best surfers. It's a huge playing field. You know, you have to work on your equipment. You have to draw your lines out. You have to navigate, you know, it's many different moods. And I think for that reason alone, it stands out against all the other venues on tour. You know, Haleiwa being a right-hand reef break that is fairly consistent, you could argue that you're going to see similar kinds of surfing at places like Main Break in Margaret River or, or even Bells Beach or something like that, depending on the day and the conditions. I'm, I'm not comparing these waves one-to-one, -one, of course, but you're going to see similar surfing at those waves, depending on the conditions, where Sunset just feels like it's a totally unique animal. But... but I guess that's a non-answer, but I guess if I had to pick, I, that's, I do think Sunset should be on the calendar, maybe over Haleiwa, but th that would be why. I don't know, Mitch, what do you think about that question? <laughs> well, I think you're spot on with the challenge situation, dude. Sunset's like a wave that I do not like to surf at all. It's not really <laughs> a good wave. It's, it's hard. It moves a lot. I mean, you get different kinds of swell directions. Um, you get super confused out there, and like everybody was saying, during the competition days that we saw during this year's CT, they got pounded too. And not to say that that's not going to happen to Haleiwa because once it gets out uh, like above six feet, the rip and the current there is just horrendous. And if you're out of position and you get a few sets on the head, it could potentially be just as bad as, as something like Peahi or Pipe. <laughs> like you're just right. getting wave after wave after wave on the head. Um, full honesty, Haleiwa is a way better wave than Sunset, um, especially as a goofy footer, like Haleiwa is a wave that I look forward to surfing. Mm. I just go straight to the bottom and the lips just kind of waiting for you to like be able to get there, especially with the right board. You're usually riding more high performance boards over at Haleiwa than you're riding at Sunset. Knife your rail, something really wants to come off the bottom and kind of maintain the same amount of speed, whereas Sunset you're usually riding something that's a bit fuller, has a bit more volume, and you really want to be able to paddle well. Um, if I had the chance to alter it, I'd switch it out. Hmm. Not to say that I don't think both of them should be on the schedule. I just think Haleiwa is a way better wave. That's me, though. Um, but I think when it comes to challenge and what we see on the championship tour, I think Sunset's a great option to have. And it being added on three years ago, it's like, dude, if we're not able to perform at that wave, insert quote from Kelly here, um, it's <laughs> right. like one of those waves that maybe you shouldn't be on the CT. Uh, mm. Because if you're not willing to push yourself and challenge yourself to a point of surfing at a wave like that, then maybe you're not cut out to be here. And I mean, I, I know I'm saying a lot because we're talking about the very best in the world, but I think outside of Kelly, most of the world champions have been successful there. You look at Andy, you look at Gabe, he's made the final. Even people that were always successful during the Triple Crown days, Pancho Sullivan, Miles Padaka, 
And I think Fred Patachi is one of the few goofy footers that has won out there multiple times too. Mm. So to me, it's one of those ways where you just need to bring out the best in yourself and you almost need to center yourself a little bit more than at Haleiwa. Not to say that I wouldn't like to see all three events on the North Shore on the CT schedule. I think it almost should be a thing, but I think two is a good number right now. So Dan, JC264, excellent question. Keep them coming in. To get to our second question, Dave, at Norbell R, amazing surfing. Any advice on how to improve power surfing to a non-pro surfer? You're asking the best in the world right here. Ventura <laughs> County's best goofy floater, Dave Frodon. Dave, uh, what should somebody do to improve their, their power surfing? I'm going to just throw this one back to you immediately, Mitch, because uh, you know you know way more about power surfing than I do. But I, I well, real quick, I will say I, I'm not the person to ask, I don't think. Um, as someone who has always really admired power surfing but has struggled to do it, I, I feel like at 40, I'm much better than I was when I was you know, 18. And I think what I've learned is like a civilian in this space is uh, leg strength, which I, I never really had when I was a kid, but is something that's become more important as I've gotten to middle age. Um, not just for surfing, but for a lot of things. Uh, core strength, flexibility. And honestly, I think it's a, a lot of it's like fundamental surfing and fundamental technique of like, you know, entry point, you know, drop speed, uh, bottom turn, you know, uh, flexibility, core strength, those kind of things that, you know, as a kid growing up and we were taking the OC Transit Authority bus to San Clemente Pier and like our idea of surfing was like, well, if I can, even if I can get a four foot closeout, I can get enough speed to go straight and try to do like a chop hop, you know, because we were just mainlining, you know, lost videos, like what's really going wrong. And to us, that was surfing. I think for me, it was like, well, you really have to kind of fo like you have to commit to learning the other important parts of surfing first, um, and that's what helped me get better. But um, again, I'm not the person to ask about power surfing. Mitchell Salazar, however, having surfed with him and having been a fan of his surfing for a long time, I am now going to ask you. I'm going to push Nor Bellar out of the way, and I'm just going to ask you myself: <laughs> any advice on how to improve uh, power surfing to a non-pro surfer? Well, there's a quote from uh, the great Conor McGregor, uh, pre-Conor that we have nowadays. I'm talking when he was like featherweight champion and he had just become lightweight champion of the world. Precision beats power and timing beats speed. And mm. um, to me, it's just always about doing less and not trying to occupy yourself too much on a wave, um, especially at a beach break. You just really want to make sure that you're using the sections that you have available and trying to surf the wave uh, for what it actually is. Um, I see too many people nowadays, especially like a lot of groms and, and the amateur comps try to do too much and it just seems forced. And you're usually seeing a lot of those turns either cut short or maybe try to put in a little bit too much in a section that doesn't really offer up what you should be doing there. And we see that a lot with airs too. I mean, mm. how many kids do you know that can pull off an air reverse? A good mm. amount. Right. How many kids do you know that air can actually hit the lip with a good amount of power and use the complement of speed to their advantage, not a whole ton. And that's where we see the difference between those guys and women that are on the top five of the championship tour and those that are kind of like in the mid tier of the pack. It's this a, is a great question oh, yeah. because, well, uh, sorry, Dave, because no, no, we just came off of Sunset Beach. Mm. And this is a spot where you need to be able to accentuate that. And less is more. Look at the 823 that John had against Miguel. 
one single major turn, and it was the element of timing there that put him in the great spot for that one turn. Same thing with his backup score. I think it was a 7-8-3. One major maneuver, but he read the way for what it was. And I think it's really just getting to a point where you feel comfortable with what you're doing on a wave and not trying to overdo things. So to me, get out to a point break, ride a, a board that's specific to that wave, go down the line with as much speed as you can and try to engage those rails with as much power as you can. I love that answer. The only thing I was going to add or, or the thread I was going to pull on that you brought up is do less, you know, and I think that that comes from just being out in the ocean, understanding the rhythms. And I'm going to wedge my Liam O'Brien agenda into this as well. Like go back and watch his heats at Sunset Beach. He is obviously one of the world's best surfers. Anyone at that level is. But one thing I noticed about the way Liam approaches his surfing at Sunset Beach, and I think everywhere, is he is more than comfortable letting the wave build up and the section build up before he decides what he's going to do. You know, yep. And I think that what you're getting at, especially with young surfers who are incredibly athletic and talented, they try to just enforce their own idea of what they should be doing on the wave without letting yeah. the wave kind of dance with them. And of course, like if you're Liam O'Brien, you have to be so athletic and so talented and so smart to do what he's doing. But you can see him wait for these sections to build up before he goes, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like there's this beautiful pause just before every maneuver he elects to do because he's waiting for the section to build up as opposed to other surfers who are maybe racing to get their maneuver in agnostic of what the section was ultimately going to do. And I just loved yep. watching it. I thought that was so cool. And just to add one last thing to uh, add Norbell R's question, really the one way that you're going to get better at surfing and just overall in reading the ocean is putting your time in the water. So go out there, ride a board that's, that's good for you, that you feel comfortable on, try to gain as much speed as you can and try to either engage the rail on the face of the wave or grow up into the lip. And no harm, no foul. I mean, you got to keep trying and keep up getting up after those falls too because it's going to happen more often than not. Um, our last question somebody that we answered a question from on our last pod super cool guy from virginia texted me dm me directly at redimus maximus hope you're doing well brett how many world titles for molly and why will this year be her first excellent question after what we saw in the first two events yeah i mean we we talked about already right like she is ascendant like not just with the results of of um you know runner up at pipe and then um uh, win at uh, Sunset Beach, but just the performances, right? I think that 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 uh, backhand wave at Pipe um, in the opening event, and then the way her her turn at Sunset Beach, and just the way she's been surfing, she she is a cut above right now for sure. I think that's probably the strongest argument for why this could be her year, just because it's not just about she's getting results competitively, her surfing is at that level, right? And you can see it, you've seen it at the CT since it formed, right? There are surfers who are incredible surfers, but maybe their competition savvy isn't there. And there are surfers who are amazing competitors, but maybe they don't have that elevation to get to the very top. The ones that do have both, right? And I think Molly right now is showing that she has both. And that to me is the strongest argument for why this is her year. That said, we talked about already, like she's going to have to contend with Katie Simmers, with Betty Lusakura Johnson, with reigning women's world champion Caroline Marks, who's also very young, 
And then other hitters like Brisa Hennessy, Joanne DeFay, ad nauseum, right? So I don't think it's going to be easy. And, and the comparison I would make is when Stephanie Gilmore came onto the tour around 2007, if you'd asked us the same question then, we probably would have said, you know, as many as she wants, right? She was such a seismic shift in ability and performance at that level that it was essentially her title to lose until Carissa came along and it was kind of the same thing. I don't know if Molly's in that same space relative to the rest of the field, just because I think the field has collectively got so much better. So it'll be interesting to see um, if she even wins one, right? Or if she wins 10, like I could, you know, it's a non-answer, but but that that's the truth of where I, I sit on that right now. What about you, Mitch? What do you think about Molly's chances for a world title this year and then just how many she could win in general? Well, Brisa said it during one of her post-heat interviews at Sunset. Every heat's gnarly. I mean, yeah. just everybody's good. I mean, there's a reason why they qualify for the championship tour. And, you know, uh, I feel like this year is easily one that I've seen major improvements on. But those two waves are very good for her style. She's no doubt one of the top three surfers, I would say, at Pipe, if not the number one surfer on the women's side. Um, Sunset, back-to-back champion. She made three finals last year. They were all they were all at right hand point breaks. Sunset got second to Tyler Wright at Bells, and then lost to Lakey at Jeffries Bay. Um, I think the one variable that we've seen some struggles at before is maybe on backhand specific waves. We have the addition of Fiji this year, which is the last event before the finals. Tahiti obviously being before. We'll see how she does there. I think the the one thing that kind of separates her from a lot of the rest of the field that she's willing to put her body on the line. You know, I mean, a lot of those waves over at Pipe and at Sunset, the, the 967 at Sunset, dude, there's few people that are probably trying that turn on that section right there. And it even almost answers the last question that we got from our fans is that you just need to be able to read a wave a certain way. And right now it just feels like Molly's reading every single wave perfectly. She's not trying to overdo things. She's surfing them the way they should. I feel like there's going to be at least two that she's going to be able to clinch and win before she retires. I think that's going to be a long time down the line, though. But just given how much talent there is worldwide, especially with a lot of programs on the amateur side developing worldwide, Dave, Europe, Australia, the U.S. has been way more consistent. We need to see more women from South America and Brazil qualify for the CT. That's one region of the world that we haven't seen a lot of push and development in. But I feel like there should at least be two in the career of Molly Picklem, and the first one could potentially be at the end of this year. Yeah, I like it. Well, great questions. Thanks to everyone who wrote in at, at the lineup pod. If we didn't get to your question, we'll try to get to you in the DMs. Mitch, always a pleasure to talk to you about surfing, my man. You enjoy the week. And uh, yeah, the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal is around the corner. So everyone lock in your fantasy teams and we'll be watching. Thanks, guys. Sorry for the Aussie accent. Hope you enjoyed it a little <laughs> bit. But um, yeah, tune into the event. Could potentially have some new champions. But um, I think most importantly, the level on the CT right now, Dave, it's through the roof. You don't want to miss any kind of the action that we have on our broadcast. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitchell Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Stop number three on the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season, the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal, is now on the horizon with a competition window of March 6th through the 16th. And the event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. 
Do not miss it. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself, produced by Miguel Clemente, with art direction by Jason Penning, and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them, and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges as recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, the Kumaye, and the Taino native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.